0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. And welcome, all you beautiful people. Welcome, all of you at home as well, for joining us. So, are you ready? Are you ready? Really ready? Okay, let's see if you're ready. God is good. And all the time, is He? Yes. Do you all believe that? Like, are we just saying that? Is that a thing? Or do we actually believe it? We believe it. He is good all the time. Um, This song set that I'm doing this morning, I actually had it prepared for May 1st. I was supposed to be leading. But I wasn't here. And I didn't know at the time what was going to be happening. But I also didn't know how much I would need this set today and this week. So I'm doing the exact same set that I had for May 1st. I was away dealing with an emergency. A lot of you know about the situation in my family across the country. Um, and it was extremely stressful. It was worrisome. You know, it was a tough time that I was going through. And while I was there going through my tough time, I was staying with a cousin who was came to rescue us. And her husband wasn't feeling that great. He was waiting for a, a liver transplant. And she found out while I was there, um, enjoying her hospitality, that he had uh, cancer. And, you know, yesterday he passed away. That's a tough time, right? That's, a, that's not good. Um, and all of you people here have stories about things you've gone through. And at the time, are you saying God is good? Is he still good in those, during those times? Yes, he is, right? He is. I mean, situations might not be good. Days might not be good. Life is hard. Sometimes it's actually really, really bad, right? Some days are bad, just bad. And if we need to weep, we're allowed to weep during those times. We're human, and we can show our human h- emotions. But I would encourage you in those times to say, even during those times, Whisper. God, you're good. God is still good. If you keep saying that and remind yourself of it, pretty soon you'll be feeling like a different attitude in the situation. The situation may not change, but you will. And your attitude and your relationship with God. So reaffirming that this morning, God is good. And all the time, God is good. So how about we stand and thank him for his endless goodness this morning. Who's with me? Amen? All right. Let's just loosen up, be comfortable, enjoy his presence, and enjoy each other, okay? Yes.
1: The name of Jesus, the name above every other name. Amen. Wow. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful that we have the privilege to worship you, that you made a way for us to be with you in relationship with you and to just give you our worship and our praise, even though it always falls short. And God, we thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, and God, that even as we've sang, (laughs) you're never going to let us down. Lord, you're you're never going to be unfaithful to your word. You're never going to be untrustworthy. And sometimes it feels like you let us down, but God, that's just because we put our own expectations on you. And so help us not to do that. Help us to just trust you and allow you to be who you say you are in your word. And so as we transition to that word, Lord, open our ears to hear from you this morning. Meet us exactly where we are. And God, just minister our hearts. We pray that we would just be a church that... Uh, is truthfully uh, authentic with you God uh, and with each other and just a light to our own community and we say amen amen Amen. well we're gonna dismiss our kids I've seen you here so if you up to the age of grade five your parents gotta sign you in uh, and then they gotta sign you back out after the service so that is that. But just a reminder, uh, next week we actually won't have Kids Church. We're still looking for people to, like, get involved. Um, and that's okay. They're going to hang out with us. And we love them and all of their sounds. So, yeah. Other than that, I do have one announcement. And I keep I keep forgetting to give it. And it's, like, a fairly important announcement because uh, Pastor Scott and I have been talking, and he's like, Oh, like I have a message. Could you share it with the congregation? And then I haven't done it yet. So let me share that with you. Because uh, it's only two weeks away. Can you believe it? Like it's been a long transition, nearly six months, and we're so close and we're so excited. Uh, so he says, Here's the message. Uh, thank you, you, the church. Uh, for your prayers, we've been actively preparing for our move to Prince George. The Lord brought us a buyer for our townhome on the first day it was listed, and now we've found a house in PG to call home. We're in the midst of packing—that's a process. So glad I'm not moving at the moment um, and wrapping up all of our responsibilities here, for we're excited to join with our new church family on June 5th. And he says, just a reminder. June 5th is Pentecost Sunday, and so we're praying for a powerful time uh, together with the Lord. And so I think that's excited. Excited? Exciting. I'm excited. That's exciting. I've passed it on. (laughs) All right. Uh, And then Deb is bringing us the word this morning, so I'm going to literally pass you the mic. Oh, yeah. I won't.
2: well good morning everybody isn't it just a wonderful thing to be able to get together again you know we were just kind of reminiscing about some of the things that have happened over the last couple years when we were apart and and uh, how you know things we were kind of out of the loop and just kind of learning some things that have happened in that time when we just couldn't stay connected but it's so good that we can get back together again well pastor ralph before he left he kind of uh, got in touch with a few of us and asked if we would be available to preach in in the interim time before our new pastor comes. And uh, he sent this little email out, and Derek got it too, and we were laughing about this because he said, fearless preachers. <laughs> and I said, Derek, I said, I'm not fearless. You, <laughs> I said, it's more fearful, <laughs> in a good way, uh reverence for God and for his his words, and for who he is. So I'm going to, before I begin sharing what I sense the Holy Spirit had me share with you today, let's pray. Abba Father, because of your great love, mercy, grace, and desire, we come boldly into your throne room, asking that you would be glorified in what we share together this morning. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people, and we welcome and acknowledge your presence in this corporate setting. Grant that your word would accomplish all that you desire as we open our hearts and our minds to you. We ask this in the wonderful, magnificent, holy, altogether lovely name of Jesus, your Christ, and our savior, amen. And all God's people said, amen. Jesus is so wonderful. I I don't know, uh, some of you know, kind of what my journey's been like for the last year. And uh, last March, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. In April, they did surgery down in Vancouver, found out that it was a rare kind of lymphoma. So I spent the next 20 20 weeks going back and forth to Vancouver, spending a week in the hospital, each treatment (laughs) for 10 treatments. I'm happy to report after two MRIs, uh, I'm in complete remission. Praise God. Yeah. Through that whole journey, it was so incredible. The Lord is so close to us all the time (laughs) and truly his grace is sufficient for us every day. Well, last week, Derek shared a message about us, uh, with us about words that we speak he shared that words are powerful and can both have a positive or negative effect. He shared scriptures that indicate that words originate from our hearts, then move to our heads, and then they get expelled from our mouths. <laughs> he shared from scriptures the kind of words and actions that come out of the mouths and lives of people surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And he shared the kinds of, uh, the, from the scripture the kinds of words and actions that result when people are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. He concluded by saying that as Christ's followers, we should be choosing to follow after the Holy Spirit's leading and be speaking words that bring to ourselves and to others all the things that Jesus purchased for us with his precious blood at the cross and for all mankind. We live in a world full of turmoil today. It's interesting. I was looking back over my life and thinking when I was a little girl, and we could run around our neighborhood without being concerned about being abducted or (laughs) any of those kinds of things, and there was a a freedom. People looked out for each other, and uh, then, you know, moving through the years and and just watching people moving away from God and watching the kinds of things that begin to happen in our societies Because of that, we took God out of the schools, we took Bible reading out of the schools, and look what we got. Look what we got. Well, we live in that world full of turmoil. There's so many issues and problems that we're bombarded with every day, and we see people desperately searching for answers and are very passionate about their particular crusade or cause. And causes and crusades can be good, bringing about some necessary changes, but they can also be not so good. They can throw us off track and distract us from staying focused on who we are in Christ and on why we're here and on where we need to be directing the passion that's within us. The main thing we need to remember in the midst of all this turmoil and confusion is to keep the main thing the main thing, so that at the end of our journey here on earth, we can agree with Timothy's words in Second Timothy six eight, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So, what is the main thing, and how we do, how do we stay focused and on track with the main thing? Well, Jesus teaches us in Matthew six thirty three that the main thing is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In this section of scripture where Jesus taught these words, he was teaching about when we worry. Let's turn to Matthew 6, 25, and 34. If you have your Bible with you, please turn there. If not, I've printed this out because it's hard for me to read (laughs) the tiny print in my Bible. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life and what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Good words from Jesus. Well, I'm convinced that any person who's truly seeking for the truth about life is going to end up seeking the kingdom of God because that is where the truth about life lives. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These were powerful words that Jesus spoke and God backed them up by fulfilling all the prophecies foretold about Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world for both the past, the present, in the future. Jesus makes reference to Solomon in the scripture that we wrote in Matthew. If there was ever a seeker of what life was all about, it was Solomon. Not only does the scripture describe him as the wisest person who ever lived, but he also had the resources to turn over every rock under heaven in his quest to find it. We read about his quest in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, And after having conducted an exhaustive search through every facet of life, Solomon concludes in chapters 12, verse 13, 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Just before he made his conclusion in chapter 12, 8, he sums up all the things he discovered under the rocks during his search, and he describes them this way. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. (laughs) That's quite a comment after not restricting yourself from anything that life has to offer and coming to the conclusion that it's all vanity. It was all waste of time, except for God being involved. In chapter 12, Solomon starts off by saying, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, young people. I hope you're hearing that one. <laughs> and further down in the text, he says again, Remember your Creator before the dust will return to the earth as it was and the Spirit will return to God who gave it so he's kind of including everybody in this comment right from the young to the old so here was Solomon who so many years ago discovered that the main thing in life is to keep the main thing the main thing I have a life application Bible and the commentary was so good about the verses in chapter 12 that I'm just going to read it to you what it says I had to type it all out because the print is so small, I had to use a magnifying glass to read it. (laughs) So it took me a little while, but here it goes. (laughs) Starting at verse 1, it says, A life without God can produce a bitter, lonely, and hopeless old age. A life centered around God is fulfilling. It'll make the difficult days when disabilities, sickness, and handicaps cause barriers to enjoying life. It can be satisfying in those difficult days because of the hope of eternal life. Being young is exciting, but the excitement of youth can become a barrier to closeness with God if it makes young people focus on passing pleasures instead of eternal values. Make your strength available to God when it is still yours, during your youthful years. Don't waste it on evil and meaningless activities that become bad habits and make you callous. Seek God now. In verse 6 to 8, Solomon refers to the silver cord, golden bowl, pitcher, and wheel. The commentary says this. The silver cord, golden bowl, pitcher, and wheel symbolize life's fragility. How easily death comes to us. How swiftly and unexpectedly we can return to the dust from which we came. Therefore, we should recognize life as a precious resource to be used wisely and not squandered frivolously. Stripped of God's spirit, our bodies return to dust. Stripped of God's purpose, our work is in vain. Stripped of God's love, our service is futile. We must put God first over all we do and in all we do because without him, we have nothing. Knowing that life is futile without God, motivates the wise person to seek God first. In verse 11, Solomon says, the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. The commentary says a goad, which is also called an ox goad, was a sharp metal tip attached to a handle and used to keep oxen or cattle moving. Like a goad, a wise word or important truth might be unpleasant when first applied, but it will keep us moving in God's direction. So you might find this sermon a little bit unpleasant. Well, that's okay. That's okay, you're not alone, because I've already been there and done that in writing this sermon. (laughs) So I'm gonna share a little story with you about my granddad's horse. My gram and gramp had a farm in southern Illinois and during summer breaks, I would go down and stay with them for a few weeks. It was a wonderful oasis for this city kid. Gramp never mechanized his farm equipment. He farmed 40 acres all his life into his 70s, walking behind a horse with a handheld plow, 40 acres. Gramps' horse was named Diamond because of the white diamond-shaped spot on his head. He was a good work horse, but he was easily distracted And getting him to plow a straight line was impossible unless he was wearing blinders. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what blinders are, they're a good-sized leather cup that attach to the harness by the sides of the eyes. And they keep a horse from having any peripheral vision so they can only see straight ahead. Nothing can distract them, and they can plow a straight line. (laughs) Otherwise, they go this way and that way and all over the place the job doesn't get done. I was always amazed at how straight Gramps fields were. It was incredible. So maybe sometimes we need to let God put blinders on us so we can stay on track. Last week, Derek said, Jesus is willing to teach us if we're willing to learn. I got a lot out of your sermon, by the way. God bless you for sharing it. (laughs) Getting back to the text, Solomon says in verse 12, and further, my son, be admonished by these, speaking of the wise words in verse 11. He goes on to say, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. I'm going to tell you a story, another story, (laughs) one of my life stories. I was flying back to Indiana to visit my family, and uh, I was seated on the plane, between Chicago and South Bend next to a man who was on his way to teach at Notre Dame University. Now, during our conversation, I learned that he had a double doctorate degree and that in all of the places where he had applied to get work, he couldn't find a job. The only place that was open to him was Notre Dame University, which we know is a Christian university. Now, Professor Lenny, and you can probably guess where his background lies <laughs> with a name like that, was a Jewish man, and he had a double doctorate, and one of his doctorates was in philosophy. So, I said, I asked him, I said, hmm, Dr. Lenny, I said, um, so whose philosophies which teachers do you kind of pattern your life most after? And he thought for a moment, and he rattled off this man's name and that man's name, and I never heard of any of them, you know. And when he got finished, uh, I said, well, what about Jesus? And he looked at me, and he said, what about Jesus? I said, well, surely having a doctorate in philosophy, you would have studied the teachings of Jesus, one of the most incredible philosophers that ever walked the face of the earth and who can boast billions of followers around the world ever since he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And he looked at me with astonishment in his eyes and I looked at him and I said, you know what, Dr. Lenny, it is no wonder that you're headed to Notre Dame University I said, because God's heard the cry of your heart. You want to know what life is all about, and you're about ready to find Jesus. <laughs> and he looked at me, you know, like, okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting Dr. Lenny up in heaven. I got a feel, a really strong feeling that that was no encounter. And you know, I mean, they look at his face. say, so you can study. You can go to school. You can spend thousands of dollars to get an education. You can know all that you know about everything and still miss the mark. Still miss the mark. So Solomon says, further, my son, be admonished by these wise words of others. But he says, the making of many books, there's no end, and much study is wearis- wearisome to the flesh. The commentary says, there are endless opinions about life and philosophies philosophies about how we should live, and that could be read and studied forever. And it's not wrong to study these opinions, but we should spend the majority of our time feeding on the truth of God's word. Wisdom, thank you. <laughs> Wisdom should lead to action. And why students of the Bible will understand and do what they're taught. Because our time on earth is so short, we should use it to learn important truths. They affect this life and eternity. The commentary on verses 13, 14 says this. In his conclusion, Solomon presents his antidotes for the two main ailments presented in the book. Those who lack purpose and direction in life should fear God and keep his commandments. Those who think life is unfair should remember that God will review every person's life to determine how he or she has responded to him, and he'll bring every deed into judgment. A couple questions we can ask ourselves. Have, have you committed your life to God, both present and future? And does your life measure up to his standards? The book of Ecclesiastes cannot be interpreted correctly without reading these final verses No matter what the mysteries and apparent contradictions of life are, we must work toward the single purpose of knowing God. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon shows us that we should enjoy life, but this does not exempt us from obeying God's commandments. We should search for purpose and meaning in life, but they cannot be found in human endeavors. We should acknowledge the evil, foolishness, and injustice in life, yet maintain a positive attitude, and strong faith in God. All people will have to stand before God and be judged for what they did in this life. We will not be able to use life's inconsistencies as an excuse for failing to live properly. To live properly, we need to, one, recognize that human effort apart from God is futile. Two, put God first now. Three, receive every good, everything good as a gift from God. Four, realize that God will judge both good and evil. And five, know that God will judge the quality of every person's life. When we think about that, isn't it kind of strange that somehow we just end up spending our lives striving for the very enjoyment that God freely gives as a gift? (laughs) We spend time, money, and effort into things that aren't eternal, aren't lasting forever. These kinds of comments always make me think of Mick Jagger singing, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> All I have to say about that is, oh, yes, we can, <laughs> because God gives satisfaction to us as a free gift when we follow his leading in our lives. In chapter eleven nine, Solomon gives some wise advice and encourages us to seek God early in life to avoid all the pitfalls that happen when we don't put God first in our lives. But even if we never heard about what Jesus did for us in our youth, there's never a person too old to seek God first above everything else at any age. As long as we have breath, it's never too late to lay aside things that have taken first place in our lives. If we've been sidetracked, it's never too late to turn around and get back on the right path the path of righteousness. I think Solomon would like this phrase that's been coined in our day. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. When we seek God first above all other pursuits, then things fall in proper order and other things added to us become blessings and things we co-manage with God instead of becoming bondages and things that control us. So God designed and created each one of us for fellowship and to co-manage his creation with him. We each have a part in this. We've each been given gifts and abilities and the choice is ours as to where we'll use them. And for what cause or what passion? God designed each of us with a free will. That means that we can choose to go God's way or our way. I think about the two men that were hanging on the cross on each side of Jesus on that day. And the one man saw, they both saw exactly the same things going on. The one man looked to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. The other man remained silent. You know, Jesus never badgered him. He was just there. And God is just there all the time. He wants children, He doesn't want puppets. (laughs) And He gave us free will to choose. His heart is so full of love, so full of gifts and wonderful things that He wants to bless our lives with. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and more abundantly. (laughs) When we seek God first above all other pursuits, then things fall into proper order. God designed and created us for fellowship and to manage. And when we choose to use those gifts and those abilities that he's blessed in our lives to bless us and others, then our whole world starts to get turned around, but it's one person at a time, one person saying yes to God at a time, and one person then allowing that life that's come into them to affect the people around them. We used to have a sign on the door on the way out of this church that said, you're now entering your mission field. <laughs> Each one of us connects with people that mm, you may never meet the people in my life that, that I meet, and I may never meet the ones that you, but it's no coincidence that God crosses our paths with the people that we meet. And sometimes we need to just be still, listen to the Holy Spirit, and See if there's somebody nearby that just needs, needs a word from God. It might be just a seed we plant. It might be just, you know, maybe you've got the butterfly net. Maybe you've got to scoop them up, you know, and help them to come across the line into the kingdom. But we all have a part to play and some work to do while we're here. So we can choose to go God's way or our way, And that means we can choose to keep going in a wrong direction, or we can choose to do a 180-degree turn to get on track with God or back on track with God if we've somehow gotten off on some side road that leads to nowhere but a dead end. We can choose to use the time we have been given while we have breath to do our part in spreading the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, or we can use our time to spread news about a myriad of other issues. The choice is always ours. Uh, Glenn and I used to live in McBride, B.C. and and there wasn't TV there when we moved. They had, it, and they had just managed to bounce waves or whatever happens to get it's between two mountains, and so it's it was really hard for them to get waves in there. Or something I don't know, but anyway, we were part of a survey to see what kind of effect that television had on a community because this was a pretty rare situation. Well. In one year, the participation in community events and organizations dropped 50%. 50%. In two years, 80%. Wow. So (laughs) sometimes maybe we're spending some time in a place where we could be spending it better somewhere else. The scripture says that, Before every man there seems a way which is right, but it leads to death. It also says the person who finds life will find it through trusting God. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and more abundantly. So all through this sermon, there's been emphasis on God's word. Words are how we get to know somebody. We communicate with each other. If you want to get to know somebody, you spend time with them and listen to what they have to say about themselves. I like to refer to the Bible as God's autobiography. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has sent to teach us and guide us, correct us, and mentor us, but we have God's written words that are all in agreement so that we can have the assurance we need to put our trust in him and make him the main thing in our lives. Here's a few facts about the Bible. Well, you may not know. The Bible is the best-selling book in the world over, with over 100 million copies sold or donated annually. Approximately 20 million are sold annually in the U.S. alone. Pretty incredible. It's the most read book in the world. You know, you never get tired of reading the Bible. You never do. It's new all the time. You're always going to find treasures in it. You can maybe, maybe you've got a few favorite storybooks that you've read through the years, and maybe you go back there, or you watch a movie that you really like. It's got a good story, and you read it or watch it a few times. But after you know it all, it's kind of like, you know what's going to happen. And it gets boring, doesn't it? Really. But the Bible, you can read this book over and over and over and over again and find something new, and it sustains life all the way through our own lives. The Bible is the most read book in the world. It's the most stolen book in the world. <laughs> they have a hard time keeping them in, in motels, in, in places where they distribute Bibles. They disappear. I don't, I don't think people are throwing them away. I think they're getting into them and reading them because they're there for a reason. There's many people that have stories about getting saved in a hotel room because of a Gideon's Bible sitting in the book. Uh, in the uh, uh, drawer there by the bed. It was written over, 1500, over a 1,500-year period by 40 different authors, none of whom collaborated with each other, obviously. <laughs> they, were, they probably were living at different times. Yet they were inspired by God to write what they did, which reveals God's character consistently throughout the whole scriptures. Through the ages, people have found that by putting God first in their lives, all of the promises, all of the benefits of being part of his family, sustain us in life and carry us on into eternity. We've passed from death to life, the scripture says. Our faith in God isn't some new idea or man-made philosophy. It is the inspired word of God that has satisfied the void in every true truth-seeker's heart when we see how much God loves the world and the creatures he created. When Adam violated God's word by being disobedient way back at the beginning and started the ball rolling of sinful living, violating God's holy laws, God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son to pay the death penalty required as punishment. Jesus was the only one who never violated a holy law. When we break the law on earth, it's called a crime. Well, when a holy law is broken, it's called a sin. The laws on earth change, as do the penalties for violating them. It astounds me at some of the laws that give freedom to some of the things that never (laughs) used to be allowed in society. It's astounding. The laws of God don't change. They're the same forever, and they're written on our hearts. They're blueprinted into our very beings so that we have an instinctual knowledge of God and we'll have no excuse if we've ignored him in our lives when it comes to judgment day, especially when he allowed his only son to come to earth and show us his love and gave us a choice as to what and whom we would serve. Jesus always kept God the Father as the main thing. He was God's only son. 100% 100% of God yet 100% man. He knows firsthand what being born into and living in this world is like and he gets it when we have all the struggles that we have. He's wonderfully able to help us and welcomes us to boldly approach God and ask for grace that's needed in any situation. It's springtime. <laughs> Finally, yippee. <Yee-hoo. laughs> And it's a time of new life springing forth. I was just We were commenting about the leaves on the trees. We're up by the airport. So we're about a week or two weeks behind from the leaves you know, on, popping off the trees <laughs> in the bowl. <laughs> You've got a lot bushier trees down here than we do. But it's a time of refreshing. And it's a time of renewal. If you're a gardener, it's a time of pruning and a time of weeding and it's a time of taking inventory. And we can apply those same kinds of things to our lives now as we enter into a season where we're gonna be out and about with people, That's it's so good, <laughs> and, and where we can uh, have new experiences and new adventures. We folks in Prince George tend to hibernate, hibernate a lot in the winter. <laughs> I know we don't get out a lot, but it's a new time and a new season. So if you're listening to this message today and you've never made God the main thing in your life and you know that it's no coincidence that you've heard these words today and you sense that God is trying to get through to you here's how you can respond. Jesus says, behold I stand at the door and I knock. If any man opens the door to me, I'll come in, or woman, any person, I'll open I'll come in, and we'll sit down and we'll have supper. That's what he says. <laughs> I'll come in. But it's up to us to open that door. You can ask him to forgive you for trying to do life your own way. You can thank Jesus for laying down all his earthly dreams and ambitions and paying the ultimate sacrifice of his life for yours. You know, I think about Jesus and, he was about 33, I think they figure when he was crucified. And a, a guy at 33, man, that's your, that's your time, isn't it? <laughs> that is when you are above." <laughs> and here, here, at, at the height of his humanness, he lays it all down, lays it all down. It says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And it's finished. See, when we break a holy law, there is no other penalty other than a death penalty, an eternal separation from God. There is no other penalty. There's no measure of that penalty. It's just if if we aren't under the blood of Christ and the provision that He made for us, then we're hooped. <laughs> we're hooped. He understands, though, being 100% human, what we go through. We can also say to God, yes, yes, I, I would like you to adopt me. And I'd like to learn how to live like a king's kid. Do you ever think about that? <laughs> the most in, in, amazing, important person in the entire universe <laughs> who created the heavens and the earth wants to be your father, whoo, that makes you a king's kid. I know when I was going through this last year and the treatment, I was amazed at how I was treated. I really did feel like a king's kid. <laughs> it was just amazing. The people on the airplanes <laughs> helping me, and, and at one point I, was ha- I had to use a walker because I was so weak, and, and God just, people just treated me like I was royalty because we are royalty. We're the the head and not the tail. (laughs) We're God's kids, and we need to learn to live like God's kids, because we're going to reign and rule with him eternally, the scripture says. So we start to learn now how to do that, if we'll open our hearts to him, if we'll turn from our ways and let him be the main, main focus of our lives, our living, our giving. Our our every loving, (laughs) everything that we do. If you're here today and you know other things have started to crowd in and choke God out of your life from being the main thing, then you can do some things, too. I'm going to tell you another little story. (laughs) I really love iris. And my iris bulbs got carried away, and they began to expand. (laughs) And when it was time, they they got so choked they couldn't flower anymore. And so I dug this clump up and I painstakingly separated them. When I got done, there was over a hundred tubers that were all tangled and stuck together. There was no life coming out of them, no flowers, because they were so choked. And so I spent like three or four hours just trying to get this thing apart and planted some, gave a bunch away to the neighbors, and next year we all had these beautiful flowers to enjoy. So if you're kind of feeling like, like you, you got choked up somewhere, <laughs> here's what you can do. You can remember the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the freedom that you received at your adoption into God's family. The passion that you one, once had for Christ the passion to serve him and to, to love others. Learn to love yourself. Learn to love God. You can do the 180 degree and ask God's forgiveness for allowing things to crowd him out. That's pretty important. You know, sometimes we do the, one, the 360 <laughs> and not the 180. <laughs> you know, that, that's bad. That's just trouble. But if we can do the 180 and get on track again, God wants to help us there. And sometimes it maybe is, maybe you've been detoured for a long time. Sometimes maybe it'll take a while to get back. But you take that first step, you turn around, and you begin. And three, you can return to the Father's heart and repeat the living that accompanies having God as the main thing in your life and your Heavenly Father. So in these times of great turmoil, let's remember that the main thing in life is to keep the main thing the main thing. The team's going to come up. I'm going to go back on team here, sing some songs. (laughs) And uh, then Tiff is going to come up and and, uh, close the service when we're finished.
1: You know, it's funny, I've spent a lot of time in my life, which is, it's it's long-ish, um, listening to, you know, people teach, and it, it's all been, you know, fairly good. But it's the first time I've ever heard someone say, sometimes we have to put blinders on. You know, everyone always talks about taking your blinders off and seeing what God is doing around you and all the things, but I was like, yeah, sometimes you have to put them on, because we always say, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, but like, that was just i don't know i appreciate it it was different and powerful and it was a good word so well church word on the street is that today is the last sunny day for a while so um i don't want to be the bearer of bad news just real and uh so we're going to pray and dismiss you and i encourage you to get out there and enjoy it um but if you want prayer like find someone you came with or that you trust or reach out come Track one of us down after the service or call this week. We'd love to pray with you. And, uh, yeah, be blessed. So, God, we thank you. We thank you for the word that was given today. And, Lord, we trust that it will bear fruit in its time. And so, God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And and by putting those blinders on, God, by not looking around to the left or the right at, at whatever anyone else is doing, but that we would just seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, bless your church this week. Prepare our hearts and prepare Pastor Scott and Carrie so that, God, when we get together in two weeks' time, Lord, would we just be so excited for the new vision and the new life and the new direction that you have for this church because your word is the same, but how we get to live that out looks a little different each time. And so, uh, yeah, we just give you praise. Amen. Amen.